This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 8. The Bible says we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to note, if you would please, in verse number 16, we find this phrase, for this cause we faint not. I think those are three very important words. We faint not. That means we, we don't stop. We're weak, but we're not so weak that we quit. We're weary, but we're not so weary uh, that we don't continue to go on. He said, we faint not. Now, as we've been looking together over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the subject of God's truth for your trouble. And we understand that our lives are filled with trouble. And the Apostle Paul was no exception. I think about when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, he was smitten with blindness. And the Lord told him to go to one named Ananias. And uh, when he spoke to Ananias about Paul's visit, this is what he said. He said, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. Now, the world would say, uh, why don't you show him the great successes that he's going to have? Why, why don't you show him uh, the great uh, opportunities and the great ministry that he's going to have? And the Lord said, I'm going to show him the great things that he must suffer for my sake. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking concerning his own sufferings, but he's also speaking to them about the sufferings that they 
are enduring and will continue to endure as the people of God. As Job said, man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. And so our lives are filled with trouble. I remember that song that was popular, I beg your pardon, I never promise you a rose garden. And uh, some people think, some of you are going, when was that popular? Well, some of us know when it was popular, right? That's right. Remember, I, I rode bus 52 to school every day. Some of you remember that and uh, that story. And I heard all those songs on the radio. And, uh, but anyway, uh, some people have this idea that uh, if, if they become a Christian or since they are a Christian, that everything should go smooth. And if there's one thing I've learned about myself, I'm not really crazy about interruptions. I, I don't really tend to enjoy them. And, uh, but interruptions come, don't they? And uh, I like it when everything's going my way, and so do you. But uh, I've learned that everything is not going to go my way, and problems occur. And so in the midst of these problems, and, and uh, Paul here is, is giving a list uh, of some of his. Uh, in, in the midst of these problems, we're tempted to just throw in the towel. And it's amazing how that uh, when things start going wrong in the lives of Christians, our first tendency is, is not to run to Jesus often. It's to run from him and to run not to his house, but to run from it. And not to his people, but to run from them. And uh, we, we tend to desire within our hearts to just quit. This is too tough. This is too difficult. And so we often faint. And so Paul is going to help us today that we would learn that we faint not in the midst of these troubles. I want you to write some things down as we look at this text. And the first thing I want you to see is the paradox of suffering. The paradox. Now the word paradox means it's a seeming contradiction. And Paul is going to write to us here in these verses concerning a seeming contradiction in the midst of his suffering. In other words, our suffering appears to us one way. But oh, there's another thing that God wants to show us in the midst of that suffering. And so I hope you'll look with me in verse number 8. And we begin to see this paradox of suffering. He says in verse number eight, we are troubled on every side. Uh, the word troubled means sufferings and difficulties that are brought about by pressure. Uh, are you under pressure? Uh, we live in a world that's in a pressure cooker, don't we? And uh, he's speaking here of these these pressures that come into our lives. He's, he's speaking of the pressures of circumstances and, and perhaps the pressures that other people uh, can put on you. I, I've talked to people who are in a stage in life where there's a younger generation that they're trying to care for and there's an older generation that they're trying to care for. And in the, in the pressures of those responsibilities, uh, they can become extremely difficult. And the expectations that people can place upon you uh, can cause you to be under pressure. Maybe you're dealing with financial difficulty and uh, there's some circumstances in your finances and that causes 
pressure. Maybe there's problems at work or in the family. And, and there's some circumstances and there's some people in your life who are putting pressure on you. And Paul certainly was acquainted with that. He spoke of his sufferings and he will speak of them later on in this book. And he says after he enumerates the sufferings and those are a long list of sufferings, I doubt any of us would want to compare our list to Paul's. And he said at the, at the conclusion of that list, he said, and beside this, the care of all the churches. The enormous weight of responsibility that was on that man. He said, I'm troubled. We're, we're troubled. But notice if you would please, he says in verse 8, yet not distressed. Now the word distress has the same idea of, of this word trouble. To be pressed. And, but the word distress means to be pushed into a narrow place. A narrow place. Uh, a place where there's no escape. He said, yes, I have pressure on me, but I am not distressed. I am not so pressed in that I do not have a way of escape. I'm thinking of that verse in the Bible that says that there's no temptation uh, which uh, will come to us. There's, there's no temptation that, that you and I will encounter, but that which is common to man. And the Lord will with it provide for us, you remember what he said? A way of escape. I'm glad to know that no matter what temptation I face this morning, uh, no matter what pressure I'm in, I have a way of escape. You say, how do I find it? You only find it in Jesus. You only find it in him. You see, there's a paradox. He said, I'm troubled, but I'm not distressed. Then notice, if you would, please. He said, we are perplexed, but not in despair. The word perplexed means I don't know which way to turn. <laughs> you ever been there? People saying, look, we need a decision. <laughs> well, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, you know, the, 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 the complications of life, the stresses of life, the questions of life, uh, the, the difficulties of life. It, it's, like a, it's like pulling those lights out at, at Christmas every year, you know. You just can't untangle all of those uh, cords and those lights. And you're wondering how in the world did it get in that situation. You don't have to do anything. Uh, you know, what happens in, in the middle of the spring and the summer, those lights just entangle themselves. <laughs> those cords just say, look, let's mess with this guy really big time here. And let's just get all intertwined and wrapped up. You don't have to do anything in life, but just live it. And it gets messy, doesn't it? It gets difficult. And, 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 and everybody's looking and they're saying, what in the world are you going to do? And have you ever been at the point in life when you say, I don't know? By the way, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. And so here he is. He's at a place where he does not know which way to turn. But though he's in that situation where he doesn't have an answer, notice what he says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. The word despair there means I'm not at a loss. Now, what a paradox there. He says, I'm at a loss, but I'm not at a loss. I'm at a loss. I mean, that's me in my mind. I can't figure this thing out, but I'm not 
at a total loss. I'm not wholly at loss. Why? Because Jesus has all the answers. You see, we have to come to the situation where we understand that we're troubled, but we're not distressed. Oh, we're boxed in, but there's a way out. That's Jesus. We don't have an answer, but there is an answer. That's Jesus. Notice what he says here. I am persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted, but not forsaken. I want to read something to you in the book of 2 Timothy. In uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 4. And Paul here, as he's writing to Timothy, is speaking of some of the difficulties uh, that he dealt with. Uh, he says in, in, uh, in verse number 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And so here we get the understanding that Paul, as he's writing this final epistle to Timothy, he's a, he's a lonely man. He's a lonely man. And he says in verse number 16, at my first answer, that was his first court date with Nero. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Now, I don't know that any of us really know how, knows exactly how that feels, but we might all think we know how that feels. That nobody cares. That nobody stuck with us. And this is where Paul is. He says, at my first answer, there was no man who stood with me, but all men forsook me. Well, why did they forsake him? Because Paul's facing Nero, the man who has more power than any other man on earth. And Paul is propagating a religion that is uh, against the law in Rome. And Nero, uh, he hates that. And so, you know, anybody want to volunteer to go to court with Paul that day? Yes, we're Christians. Yes, we're with Paul. He said, they all forsook me. No man stood with me. I pray, says God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notice verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Can I tell you something? We're, we understand what Paul meant. Persecuted, but not forsaken. He was not abandoned. Can I tell you that the Lord Jesus will never abandon you? Amen. He won't abandon you in the hospital. He won't abandon you in the room when the doctor says, I have some bad news for you. He won't abandon you when you're going through great difficulty. He said, I'm persecuted, but not forsaken, not abandoned. Notice if you would please again in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And uh, verse number nine, he said, cast down, but not destroyed. The word cast down means to be thrown to the ground, to be flung to the ground. Do you ever feel like the world throws you to the ground? Do you ever feel like uh, people, circumstances just push you aside? He said, cast down but not destroyed. In other words, he says this, I'm down, but I'm not out. I'm down, but I'm not out. 
You see, here we see the paradox of suffering. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we deal with difficulties. We're troubled. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're cast down. But we still have hope. All is not lost. We have Jesus. By the way, aren't you glad you have Jesus? Can I tell you that the world doesn't have Jesus? They could have him if they would believe on him. But we who know him and who have believed on him, we have him. And in the midst of the sufferings and trials of life, which are common to all men, we need to understand that we have an anchor. We have a hope that is steadfast and sure. And so we see the paradox of suffering, the seeming contradiction of it all, that though we suffer, yet we have comfort, that though we suffer, yet we have aid. And we praise God for that. Now we see the second thing. Not only do we see here the paradox of suffering, but we see the power of Christ. Now when we think about the power of Christ, oftentimes in our own personal experience, this is what we're thinking about, that he's the son of God who died for me and made the payment for my sin, and he did, and thank God for that. And that he rose again the third day from the tomb, and he gives eternal life to all who will believe. And he does. Thank God for that. And if I believe in him, my sins are forgiven. I have a home in heaven. My, my future is determined. I'm going to be with him for all eternity. But I want you to know that the power of Christ is not only good for your sin and your future, but it's good for your present. And it's good for your situation. And when we, when we fail to recognize that and when we fail to live in that, it's like, you know, you went and bought one of these brand new Corvettes. I saw one the other day. Really nice. And uh, can you imagine a guy goes and buys a new Corvette and then he puts it in neutral and he starts pushing it down the road? I'd say, man, where's your keys? Put the key in the ignition, start that thing up. You don't have to push it. It'll, it'll get you down the road. But so many people who have the power of Christ that is available to them simply in the midst of their troubles, in the midst of their trials, do not put the key into the ignition and allow the Lord Jesus to be operating in their life. Now, there's a paradox here. And we're going to see it. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse number 11. For we which live are always delivered unto the death, unto death, rather, for Jesus' sake. That life also might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Now notice he says, we which live. He's speaking of those who know the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that if you're a sinner, then you are not living. You might have physical life, but you don't have abundant life. You don't have spiritual life. He said, for we which live, the Bible says, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. You see, all of us are born dead spiritually. And the only way that we can have life spiritually is to be born again. That's what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, to be born again. That means to receive the Lord Jesus as my Savior to, to have the Spirit of God come and dwell within me to give me that life that Adam lost in the garden, that life of God. And so here we see 
that he's speaking to the believer. He said, we which live. Do you have life? Do you live? Well, if so, notice what he says. Are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Our flesh is dying, but yet we have life. And the life that we have is everlasting life. It is eternal life, but we have mortal flesh that will die. And what we learn here is that we're delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. You see, the everlasting life of Jesus was manifest that day to all the world to see when he came up out of that grave. That corn of wheat, it, it fell into the ground. And what we find is, is that this, this death gives way to life. And when we as believers learn that we can identify, that we are identified rather, with Christ in his death. When we understand that when he died on the cross, we died as believers. We died with him. Our sin, it was crucified. It was nailed to the cross. And we shared in his death. And Paul said, we that are dead to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? You see, we're dead. And then with his resurrection life, when he came up out of that grave with uh, that everlasting life, that, that resurrection life, that, that glorious, powerful life. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. We share in that resurrection life. You see, if we didn't share in his death, we couldn't share in his life. But because we share in his death, we share in his life. And that means we have to learn a great lesson, a very difficult lesson. That is the death to self. Death to self. Now, if there's one thing we all have in common, it is preservation of our lives. It is preservation of ourselves. We like things the way we like things. And we look out often for old number one. Do you know who old number one is? He's the fellow that looks you in the mirror. And as long as things are good with old number one, we're okay. And the world is okay. But when things aren't good, when things aren't going our way, then we're upset. But what we learn, the longer we live, is that we are to be dead to self. Our plans, our desires, our expectations, our hopes, we give those over to Jesus. And we learn to die to self. And when we learn to die to self, then we learn how to live unto Christ. And that's really living, friend. That's really living. Learning to die to self so that Christ may be made. Notice what he says here in verse, um, in verse number 11. May be manifest. That means may be demonstrated in our mortal flesh. In this old mortal flesh, the life of Christ can be demonstrated. 
I've told you about Carl Maloney many times. He made such an impression on me. I only had the opportunity to know him for a short while at the very end of his life, although his, his life came to an end here much more suddenly than any of us anticipated. But Carl Maloney uh, was a man filled with the love of God. Filled with the love of God. And uh, the life of Christ was made manifest to me through Carl Maloney. He drove a Krispy Kreme donut truck. He wasn't some mighty preacher, but he was a mighty Christian. I think of a man named Hugo Boinder. Hugo Boinder was uh, a Dutchman. He was in a Japanese concentration camp during World War II. He suffered greatly in that concentration camp. He survived. He came to America. He married a lady. I didn't know him during any of those days. In fact, the day I met Hugo Boinder, he was in the Oak Ridge Hospital because he'd been diagnosed with stomach cancer. He was a member of our church, but he hadn't been there in quite some time. His wife had gotten sideways about something, and, and so they didn't come. But Hugo was a spirit-filled Christian, one of the sweetest men I've ever known. And I only got to visit with him from the time he was diagnosed with stomach cancer to the time he went to heaven. But what an impression he made on my life. You see, the life of Christ was made manifest in his death. I'm not speaking necessarily of his physical death because Hugo Bonder died a long time before he died physically. He died to self. And we, we must learn that the life of the disciple is the cross life. We must take up our cross and we must follow him. And so when you don't get it your way, when somebody doesn't treat you the way you think you deserve to be treated, I, I, I'm not trying to give license for people to be mean to you, but I'm saying it's, it's, it's bigger than you, right? And the Lord is teaching you that it's bigger than you because it's really not about you and I. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And so we see the power of Christ that in his death, as I learned to, as I learned to live in the, in the reality and the recognition of the death of my own self as I'm identified with Jesus, then the life of God is made manifest in me. When, I, when Scott Hooks dies, when he dies, and I wish he'd stay dead more than he does, but when he dies, then Jesus can live in him and through him. He said, this life we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so to make him manifest, these troubles come and they come so that Christ can be made manifest in us. Notice again the language of Paul, we having the same spirit of faith. He's quoting here the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, as he says this, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. He said, we also believe and therefore speak. And, and, and that Psalm, that quote is given in the context of suffering, believing and therefore have I spoken. If you want the power of Christ to operate in your life, it's only going to come one way and that is through faith. Believing God. Believing what God said. 
He said, therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Do you believe? Do you believe? Verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. <laughs> that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Why is God allowing you to do this? For your sake. Why is he allowing you to go through this? For your sake. For all things are for your sake sakes and not only for you as an individual but for the sakes of those who live in your house under your roof for the sakes of those who dwell with you and go to church with you God is allowing these things to come into your life so that Christ Jesus might be manifest in your mortal bodies and so we see the paradox of suffering we see the power of Christ I want you to see the last thing with me that's the prospect of the saint You see, Paul was able not to faint because he understood the paradox of suffering. He was able to endure and not to faint because he was experiencing the power of the resurrected Jesus. And he was able to endure that suffering because of the prospect, the future, the hope that he had. And it's the same hope that we, you and I have. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I spoke to you a moment ago about Hugo Boinder. And I watched the outward man perish. I, I watched him get weak. I watched him deal with some calamities. While he was in the nursing home, some conflicts, while he was dying, it wasn't a pretty picture. I watched the outward man perish, but can I tell you something? Every time I left that nursing home, I was strengthened. And I was strengthened. Because he was strengthened. The inward man was renewed day by day. He was strengthened. The power of Christ was made manifest in his mortal body. And he was renewed. You see with the reality of the perishing outward man comes the reality of the renewal of the inward man. I've lived long enough to see people I know and love grow old and grow weak and perish physically. The outward man's perishing. But just because the outward man is perishing doesn't mean the inward man is perishing. In fact, we can see that the inward man can be renewed. Day by day. How are we renewed? We're renewed with hope. We're renewed with grace. We're renewed with strength. We're renewed with the message of the Lord Jesus as we spend time with him, as we learn that through our death comes life. As we yield to that, we can be renewed. The prospect of the saint. Now he's got a prospect here that helps him put some things 
in perspective. And I hope it will help you to put some things in perspective. Look in verse number 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, it's all about perspective here for us, isn't it? As we think about the hope, as we think about the prospect of, of the saint, we, we have to have the right perspective. And that perspective deals with our afflictions. Now, notice, notice how he helps them gain an understanding or a perspective of their afflictions. Notice the word he uses here in verse 17. For our, say the word, light. Now, I want to tell you, if you go to the hospital to see somebody and you say to them, now I just want you to know you have a light affliction. They're probably not going to enjoy that too much, right? Uh, you're going through trouble in your life. Oh, it's just a light affliction. It's probably not the word we need to use, but it's the word the Holy Spirit uses here. To help us get perspective. It's maybe the thing that no brother or sister could really say to you without causing some offense. Which goes back to our other point about death to sale. But God can say it to us. The Lord Jesus can say it to us. To put it in perspective for us. This thing that we think is so big. This thing that is so heavy. And perhaps it is heavy. When we put it in perspective to the glory of God. And the power of the risen Savior. Paul says it's a light affliction. It's a light affliction. He gives us another perspective. He says, which is but for a moment. Not only is it a light affliction, but it's a momentary affliction. It's going to pass. It's going to pass. When troubles come, troubles go. Thank goodness for that. Thank the Lord for that, right? It's a momentary affliction. And then notice this, it's a purposeful affliction. The Bible says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now notice here, our affliction is light, but the glory that it produces in us and through us is heavy. It's weighty. It's a weight of glory. And so we understand that our affliction, it's light in comparison to the glory of God and the power of Christ. He can move it, aren't you glad? It might be heavy for you, but it's not heavy for him. It's momentary. It's not going to last forever. And it's purposeful. That means God is going to use it to, to work for us. It's working for you. That affliction, it's working for you. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God is using that affliction in your life for your good. Now that's where the faith comes in, right? 
What's the first thing we want to know when we suffer? Have you read the book of Job? I, I, I guarantee if you read it, you just underline this word, you'll find it many times in Job's speeches. Why? 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 That's what we all want to know, isn't it? Why? God gives us the why. He doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about it. But he tells us it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Hey, look, if we didn't have troubles in this life, would we ever long for the next one? I mean, the truth is our nature is so corrupt that we don't think we need God until we have a problem. Do you think we get so independent of God that God allows a little trouble in our lives just to remind us that we're not independent of God, that we, that we really do need Him? See, that problem, that, that works for me. It's, it's working for me. You see, as long as everything's going good and, and, and I'm in my pride and lifted up and thinking I got everything under control, as long as business is good, as long as the job is good, as long as the wife is happy, as long as the kids are happy, as long as the in-laws are happy. Some of you know none of those things are ever going to happen at one time, right? <laughs> we think we got this. The truth is we don't have it. You know who we are? Where those people in the book of Acts when that ship broke up? That... that ship Paul was on, as they got toward the rock, it broke up. And, 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 and some of them were able to swim to shore. They had the strength to do it. Others couldn't. They just had to cling to a board. I want to tell you, whether you swam to shore or you floated on a board to shore, the only way you made it was because God said you were going to make it. He told Paul, you're not going to lose anybody. And let me tell you, what we need to recognize is we might think we're swimming, but we only have the strength and power of God or we wouldn't get to shore. And those of us who are clinging to boards, trying to make it there, we're a little bit more aware of the fact that we need God. You see, it's working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, that, that affliction, it's just for a moment. It's momentarily, uh, it's, it's momentary in your life. But with this weight of glory, it's everlasting. And it's not light, friend. It's anything but light. It is an exceeding weight of glory. But here's the key. How am I going to get this perspective about my suffering? How am I going to get this perspective about what God is doing in it and through it? That it is light. That it is momentary. That it is purposeful. Notice verse 18. While we look. Not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It all depends on where you're looking. If you're looking at the mess, you're going to see the mess. If you're looking at Jesus, you're going to see Jesus. The Bible tells us that the faith life is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, friend, we've got to look to him. 
And we have to look to him in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of these trials. We look to Jesus, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. I think about the words of Paul that said this, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And so this, this trouble, this trouble that we're in, well, it is troublesome, but it's not hopeless. There's an escape. It's Jesus. There's power to endure. That's the power of the resurrected Savior. As we learn to die to self. And there's this prospect that gives us perspective about what we're going through. It's light, it's momentary, and it's purposeful. We may not understand the purpose till we get to heaven, but we can trust the purpose and the God of the purpose while we look to Him. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.